and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, we are living in a rapidly changing and frankly, crazy world right now. One moment we're fighting off a pandemic, the next we're battling to pay our bills and worrying about global conflict. Whoever said that change was a constant wasn't lying. One thing, though, that does remain constant, at least on this podcast, is our obsession with helping people lead more fulfilling work lives and turning around the juggernaut or the reportedly poor levels of employee engagement globally? Or should that be the quality of employee experience? And actually, what's the difference between those two things? And does it does it really matter? What's for sure is that our working environment is in a state of flux right now. In the UK recently, we've had Lord Alan Sugar saying people working from home are just lazy gits. And the Prime Minister himself, Boris Johnson, saying we all get a bit too distracted by coffee and cheese when we work from home. Hmm. So why don't we all head back to the office? Whatever happened to hybrid working being the saviour of work? So just what is the way forward? Well, today I'm joined by Emma Bridger, who's the Managing Director of People Lab, and who literally wrote the book on employee engagement. Her book, Employee Engagement, There is the Clue, has just been updated as the world of employee engagement experience has evolved. As one of the world's leading employee engagement and experience experts who works with organizations to help them design and create great employee experiences, which empower people to be their best, who better to hear from to help pick through all this stuff and see if we can see the wood for the trees? Welcome to the show, Emma. Thanks, Andy. Delighted to be here. Really good to have you. I would say a bit of a coup for the podcast to get you on here uh, with all of your knowledge. Um, just for people listening, Emma, could you just do us a quick favour, just give us a brief introduction to you, what you're currently looking at, the things that are sort of sucking the brain at the moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. So I'm Emma, nice to meet you, and I run a company <laughs> called People Lab, uh, which I've been doing for 13 years now, which has just flown by. Wow. Yeah, so I, I kind of started my career as an academic. I was a behaviour change psychologist and I loved it. And I went to the world of health psychology, did some really interesting stuff there, which is probably subject for another another podcast maybe. <laughs> and I kind of fell into the, the corporate world facilitated by a, a move to Brighton and uh, there weren't any lecturing posts going. So I just started applying for jobs. So I fell into the corporate world and, and absolutely loved it. And that was at the end of the 90s or 98. So showing my age here. And at the time, you know, no one was talking about employee engagement or employee experience. Um, and I kind of had this slightly weird role. I, I worked for an OD, well, worked in an OD team, 
Um, originally kind of looking after well-being because that had been my background from a health psychology point of view. I did a lot of health promotion work. So that's kind of how I got in there. But and also internal comms. So I had a really weird portfolio of work. So well-being, internal comms. I looked after this, what was called the corporate social responsibility strategy at the oh, time. Oh, exciting stuff. Mm. Yeah. And I just did all this kind of really kind of random stuff. Um, and I go to conferences and speak to people and people be much more sort of, I suppose, you know, they just did internal comms or, you know, maybe CSR or whatever it might be. I sort of said, well, just do a bit of all this stuff. And when the term engagement, I first started reading about it, I found it actually quite helpful because I could kind of give a label to all the stuff I was doing. Actually, all the stuff I was doing was was about helping to, to, you know, to engage people at work. So helping people to be their best selves at work, Mm. to thrive at work, all that good stuff. Um, So that's, that's kind of how I kind of fell into it. And then I did 10 years in house and set the business up 13 years ago, because I'm really passionate about the fact that work should not be a miserable experience. And actually it's really obvious, right. But great things happen when, uh, when we get it right with our people. So, um, that's kind of how I fell into this world. And I think, you know, you know, your point around EX and, and engagement, employees have always had experiences, good, bad or ugly, but now we're actually thinking about them. We now yeah. realise that they're, it's pretty important to try and help organisations, individuals have good experiences at work because that's good for everyone, right? So um quite excited by the fact that there's an increased focus on experiences. But, but we've, I mean, you know, people like us, we have always been involved with intentionally designing great experiences for our people that's always happened no matter what world we've been in but I think now the the focus is is um you know it's much more uh cute on on the experience of our people which is great news it is and thinking always helps Emma doesn't it having a little bit of time to think and really assess things and get into it and and find the right way forward always helps and I think it's fascinating just listening to you there about your background and then how it all gets wrapped up in, in engagement. And I think that's that's one of the things about this topic that, that I absolutely love because engagement is clearly the output of a lot of other things. You mm. know, all of this communication, even the, even the link to CSR, you know, what drives the business and how you can link that to what drives the people um, and that looking for that, that nirvana of, of engaged people. But we'll get stuck into all of that, no question and hear a bit more about how the books needed to be updated. And, mm. and I guess with that in mind, I mentioned in the intro about this sort of changing landscape that we're dealing with from a work perspective. So what what is going on? As, as, mm. as the expert here, what has happened, what is happening to the world of work landscape right now? And, and how has that influenced you updating the book? Yeah, I think um, it's a really good question. I think, you know, the world of work is constantly changing. Okay. We talked about change being constant and it's, I guess it's quite easy to look at COVID and think that a lot of the changes we've seen, like, you know, the increased digitization of working, hybrid working was facilitated by COVID, but actually um, that, that's not the case. It, mm. These changes were already happening. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think about my, my career, I, I've always worked in a hybrid way you know, since the 90s, just suited the kind of work that I've done. Um, But I think what we've seen is that COVID has just kind of really accelerated that pace of change. So, you know, one one of the clients we work with, they're a large central government body. Um, You know, they they had a plan before COVID to roll out MS teams to their workforce 
many, many thousands of people. And I think it had kind of a three-year project plan. They did it in three weeks. Right. right? So that was, you know, that's <laughs> kind of one of the benefits, I guess, of, 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 of you know, <laughs> the need to quickly be able to talk to people virtually rather than in person. So, you know, the, these changes are already happening. So we're already seeing, you know, um, people start to question their the hours they spend at work that was already happening you know people already started to say actually you know work with work-life balance you know the the idea of a four-day working week was around before covid hybrid flexibility we've been talking about flexibility for a long time we've been talking about you know greater diversity and inclusion for a long time Mm. but i think what happened in covid was that these things you know either accelerated rapidly really came to at the top of mind I mean I keep saying there's nothing like a global pandemic to give you a huge dose of perspective as to what's really you know what really matters to you in your life so people are suddenly questioning you know actually what do I really want I'm a long time at work what, what do I really want to to out of this experience so I just think it accelerated what we were seeing and then obviously add on to that you know other movements happening you know the, the Black Lives Matter movement the Me Too movement and we've got all of these, you know, all these things going on, which has kind of created this, I guess, this real groundswell of, of customers, uh, not customers, sorry, employees having more power in how they experience work, which is a good thing, right? Power is kind of quite a, you know, an emotive word, I think, but I've used power in a very positive way here. So suddenly employees are saying, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And, and I've I, actually, this isn't good enough in the way that, perhaps customers do and have done and will continue to do, employees are starting to kind of question, I think, the way they, they're treated at work a lot more accelerated by the global pandemic. I think that's really interesting, isn't it? Because my background in hospitality and having worked in in the States for a while, the parallels between a British customer complaining and an American customer complaining were kind of like night and day. But I always believed the fact that because that customer base was so vocal, the service industry in the states didn't have a choice, right? It mm. had to it had to react to create better experiences. Whereas we're all guilty, I think, in Great Britain of sitting in a restaurant being served something that is less than good, and when the waiter waitress comes to you and says, "Is everything okay?" We stop our moaning to the people on the table, look up to each to the waiter, and say, "Yes, it's lovely. Thank you very much." Mm. And we, we we don't really give them the feedback to help them evolve. And actually, when we do give them feedback, they're not equipped to do anything about that feedback. The number of times I've said. When asked, is everything okay? And I've gone, no. The response is, okay, thanks very much. Because they're just not prepared for it, right? Mm. And I think this is interesting what you're saying with the employee piece now about being a bit more vocal, being demanding, having had time. You know, I know Mm. people talk about the the great resignation. I refer to call it the great reflection because I think Mm. people have had time and space to think about what Mm. really matters to them. Mm. And I think from my perspective, this is what's coming through, right? In Uh, engagement experience from an employee perspective, people being more vocal, looking over the fence and seeing what's happening elsewhere and saying, actually, why can't I have a bit of that? Uh, And why aren't you doing that? Is that, is that what you mean? Is that, is that where you're going with it? Yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, you know, we're talking about this, this a lot actually over the last week about this kind of changing nature of work and, 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 and why is that? And, I think that there's lots of things that are going on. I think one of the things is that, you know, we've learned a lot. You think about, you know, the idea of the modern workplace is quite a new thing, right? So I think it's fair enough that we didn't really, our kind of, you know, uh, a few generations ago, didn't really know what they were doing and with their best intentions about productivity or Mm. what have you, but they got it wrong. And then we realised we got it wrong. So the kind of directive carrot and stick 
model that doesn't really work. You know, we don't get the best out of people like that. And, and, and we've adapted and changed, perhaps not as quickly as some of us would like. But mm. we now know that a kind of coaching conversation is a far more effective kind of facilitator of change than a kind of, you will do this because I said so. Yeah. And I also, so I think that there's, there's that. I think, that, you know, people that work in people functions, you know, the science has kind of helped us to understand better how to motivate people, how to get the best out of people. So I think we've just evolved because we are just understanding far better what works. But I also think that, you know, if you look, especially with social media, that you look globally, people are really owning or becoming more accountable for their lives, their experiences, and their, you know, the, we call it internal locus of control in psychology. They're saying, actually, kind of down to me as well. Yeah. Uh, if I don't like what's going on in my life, Sometimes I, you know, I don't have the resources to be able to change that. But if I do, then I kind of need to do something about it. And, mm. you know, you, it's a great example you give there because I think about the way I was treated when I was at work many years ago. I would not put up with that now, you know. I, and, and I always tell this story about when I, when I uh, was pregnant with my my eldest son Harry. Um, I, I had fairly new boss, and we we didn't get on. You know, I like to say it was all him, but I probably wasn't the easiest person to work with. I was probably, I was probably a, a young, ambitious know-it-all. But anyway, um, I remember telling him that I thought I was pregnant. And his first comment was, do you know who the father is? What? Yeah. Yeah. And I sat there gobsmacked and very upset, but I just didn't say anything. I didn't oh do anything. My- now, I'm a, I'm a hardcore feminist, right? You know, and I... I was in riot girl bands in the nineties. Yeah. I went to, I set up girl any gig. So I, and I'm, as you know, I'm not frightened of, of, of making my voice heard, but yeah. I knew it would be career limiting to have that conversation. Here's my boss. And I knew it'd be career limiting to, to challenge him on it. Um, That's crazy, isn't it? I right? know. Yeah, absolutely. And I would, I just wouldn't, I would not put up with that now. I wouldn't do it. He'd, but, be, ar- he'd be arrested now. It's, it's shocking. Yeah. 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 But yeah, there is this, I guess, this almost unwritten contract that's changing, right, between employer and employee on the on the back of all of this change we've talked about. And yeah. I think, like like many places, some businesses are all over. I mean, it's heartening for me to hear you're talking about, oh, the long time ago in 1998, I was working on well-being. Wow. Some people have only just woken up to the whole mm. thing about well-being. You know, so we're we're all operating on this diode, I guess, of mm. guys at the front pushing stuff and, and other guys lagging behind and but but catching up, I hope. But yeah. do you get a sense that this contract is definitely changing? And you talked about power in a positive sense. Mm. Is it is it still changing? Is it still migrating towards the people within an organization? Or if we look at what's going on recently and some of the press and what have you, is it swinging back now to I guess the business authority. Um, mm. I don't know. What, what do you What do you see? I I um I have an optimism bias, so yes, of course, I'm going to say I think it's changing for the good, <laughs> and it keeps a change, keeps changing. I think when you hear the like you mentioned Anne Sugar and, and Boris, they look so outdated, don't, don't they? They, they don't look they? out fashion. They look outdated. You look at them and go, you know, really, uh, and. You know, people aren't, I mean, there may be a few people nodding, right? But most people are saying, you know, come on, we, we've, we've moved on past that. They, they look very old-fashioned. It's like, you know, talking about changes, you know, in society as a whole, you know, we, we talked about, you know, the, the comment I mentioned before and the Me Too movement. And the, the world has changed beyond a recognition, you know. There's, there's certain behaviours that are acceptable 
in the 70s, 80s, 90s that have just not been acceptable now. You say you would get arrested for some of them, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's the same in the workplace that, you know, th- those sorts of very outdated behaviours, I mean, I'm not going to get arrested, but they just look, they just look outdated and very, very out of touch. With, really? Yeah. Really out of touch. But I think it, I... I don't know. I think it's really interesting because, like you say, there'll be people nodding and people shaking their head. I mean, that is the world, right? I read yeah. something the other day in Time. Not that I often get time <laughs> time to read Time. It just popped up. And there was something in there about the dark side of employee engagement, right? And it mm. quoted Elon Musk. I don't know whether you've mm. seen, seen what he said I about China. No, right. No. So he said something. I'll, I'll get the quote a little bit wrong, but he said something like, there are some super talented, hardworking people in China who strongly believe in manufacturing. I think he was talking about the whole electric battery landscape. Mm. And he said, they won't just be burning the midnight oil. They'll be burning the 3 a.m. oil. They won't even leave the office. And the sentiment here was that they're so engaged, they just won't stop. Mm. And the piece went on to talk about the connection between engagement and burnout, right? Mm. That you're so engaged that you end up burning out, mm. right? And I don't know. I wonder whether I wonder whether in the dark recesses of Lord Sugar's brain is mm. that somewhere is like, people want to work hard and they really really Mm. if they're really engaged they'll work and they won't stay at home and they won't Mm. go to the cheese box and all that kind of rubbish and i I don't know i i I thought that was an interesting it was an it was an interesting thing to read Mm. but but a worrying thing because i i i have a concern that people could interpret this engagement thing on both sides of the coin employees could see that and sort of go engagement that's just you wanting more out of me and yeah. employers going engagement. If you're engaged, you'll work harder. You know, mm. I don't know. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it make, makes sense. And I, I think you know, a few things are kind of unpacking there. I think you know, for me, engagement is about thriving and being your best self at work. You're not your best self at work if you work until three o'clock in the morning. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, even even myself, I run my own business, and there's some weeks I have to put you know quite a few hours in. It's been one of those weeks this week, and. And I know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not my best. I know yeah. I'm not. And I know it's taking me longer actually to do things because my brain isn't there. And there's a whole load of neuroscience that won't go into it, but check out the work of Sean Aker, um, who's a brilliant Harvard uh, scientist who talks about happiness advantage. You know, there's a certain level at which, think about the classic bell curve, right? It's a certain level at which we're kind of thriving at our best. And we talk a lot about challenge. Um, nobody ever says I was really thriving because I was, you know, coming at nine, leave at five. And, you know, you look at, um, you know, you know, quote, quote, quote the Bible here, the devil makes work for idle hands. You know, a lot of people can't cope with, we need purpose in our life, yeah, we you know, and, and we need, you know, the idea of if you won the lottery, it's like, what, what would you actually do? And, you know, the, the idea for me of not having something to kind of get me up out of bed, you know, it, it's quite, it's quite frightening and then you get into the whole kind of like sort of sociological viewpoint around you know the protestant work ethic and you know we work is good and we need to work and i think the the, the term work often has some negative hard work you know negative mm-hmm. connotations but the idea of kind of just repositioning that and sort of saying i've got something that i, that I do in my life that um gives me a purpose and and, and and fulfills me makes me feel good about what i'm doing and um and also helps me to pay the mortgage whatever mm. that's good and of course, I always talk about those people that, that perhaps do jobs that aren't great jobs. And I always quote 
the example of when I was a student, I was trimming lettuces and it was a, it was a horrible job. I hated the job, but I still had purpose because I loved the people I worked with. There you and go. I had a great laugh with them. It's all about the people. So it doesn't necessarily have to be about the work you do. So I think that, um, you know, the Alice Sugars, they've kind of got that hardcore Protestant work ethic of like work equals good, but only if it's really hard work. And and actually, you know, we're, we're not at our best when we are putting those sorts of hours. We, we can do little spurts of that, absolutely for sure. But it's, you know, knowing when to go, actually, this has gone on too long now and I'm really starting to burn out here. So it's that kind of bell curve thing for me. So 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 not enough isn't good. Mm. Um, what, and by work, it, could, it doesn't necessarily have to be a paid job. It could be whatever it is that you you, you do in your day, you know, to, to, to fulfill your time. But too much is also going to be bad for you as well. So yeah. I think there's a kind of a sweet spot in the middle where you're thriving. There's always a balance. There's a, there has to be a balance. I just thought it was an interesting mm. thing to read. He's in the press a lot for various reasons at the moment. And I thought I could just sort of see him there. If he had a moustache twirling it in the background about, oh, employee mm. engagement, the dark side. Mm. Um, but we'll, we'll move on from that. You mentioned a little bit about the differences between employee engagement and employee experience. Can we mm. just get into that in a bit more in a bit more detail, just to sort of clarify what what you see as the, mm. the differences, the links mm. um, b- between the two? Yeah, so I think the starting point is you know thinking about engagement. There isn't a single universal definition, um, which is both a blessing and a curse. So we haven't got a beautiful kind of reliable and valid diagnostic that can say. I'm engaged or not, which is why I have a huge issue with, with benchmarking because you're comparing apples and pears and all yeah. sorts of different fruit. Mm. But I think, I mean, I, I, talking about the, the book update, you know, I, it's a great piece of research done by Johnny Gifford and Jake Young from the CIPD, and I'm a huge fan of the work they do. Um, Johnny and I had lots of very good-natured debates over the years, and I think it's great that the kind of, you know, challenge she brings to the engagement industry. Um, and it really looks at kind of, you know, the definitions of engagement, what we mean by it, et cetera. But what, what they do say in their report is that no matter what, you know, this whole field of engagement has had a positive impact on people practices. Right. So it's a good thing. Of course, it's a good thing to want your help be that, to want to help your people be their best selves at work. So however we choose to define it, you know, employee engagement is essentially about, you know, helping people to, to, to be their best selves, whatever that means. Um, and, and for me, it's really simple, right? It's the way we get to it. So yeah, it is an output. Yeah, it absolutely is an output. But for me, the way we get to that is, is through experience. So if I'm having a, a, you know, a good experience at work, I'm more likely to be engaged. It's, it's, it's that simple, right? So if I'm being appreciated, if I'm feeling valued, if I'm doing something that gives me that kind of sense of meaning and purpose, if I'm working with great people, um, if I've got autonomy, um, all those kind of uh, elements, all that stuff is going to make me feel good. So it isn't about toxic positivity because I think people get very con- mm. well, not, people don't get very confused. Some people get a bit confused and think, oh, it's all about being happy and it shouldn't be about being happy. It's like actually, um, psychologists don't even really talk about happiness, talk about well being, which is where it gets confusing because in psychology, well being is what the layperson would label happiness. But obviously, in work, when we talk about well being, we talk about kind of health and well-being so it gets very confusing yeah yeah but I think you know when you have a good experience at work you release this positive emotions and that kind of it gives you that kind of uh competitive advantage if you like because when we release positive emotions we have a load of dopamine flooding our brain and that helps us to just perform better so we're able to solve problems we're able to be more creative 
we're able to much more genuinely connect with people. So we're just better. And that feels good. So it's kind of this cyclical effect. So we go, you know, I'm, you know, you know how it feels when you're on form. It feels great, doesn't it? You think, oh, I'm, 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 I'm great today. I'm nailing it. This is brilliant. Yeah. You know, so for me, it's like the more opportunity we can we can have at work to have those kinds of emotions, then we're going to feel better about everything, not just work, but life. So that's that's the link between experience and engagement. And that's, it isn't about it isn't about making it really easy. It's about coming to work every day and going, yeah, I'm so happy. Although it might be some of that. Sometimes we experience positive emotions when things are really difficult. Um, so there's a kind of a, a, a bias that called, sometimes called the IKEA effect. Pain is good. You know, that kind of. That brilliant feeling you get when you put a piece of IKEA furniture together, right? Yeah. Uh, you might say, I don't I hate IKEA, but um, I love IKEA. <laughs> yeah, we, we value things more when we've put effort in, right? That's what we're trying to say here in a clumsy way. So we value a piece of IKEA furniture more than something we've bought because we, we built that. It feels good. We built it. So at work, you know, we might be having a really tough day trying to sort out some difficult stakeholders or trying to, you know, you know, re- turn a report in. But when we do it, it feels really good because that was really tough, but I got there. Or maybe you're having a tough time, you know, sorting out some difficult stakeholders and a colleague comes and puts your arm around you and says, you know, it's okay, I've been there. And it feels like a real connection. And that feels nice that someone's noticed I'm struggling. Mm. So we have opportunity for positive emotions, even when things aren't going that well. Mm. And the more opportunity we have for those positive emotions, the more likely we are to be engaged. So we need to think about how we intentionally design experiences that are more likely to enable people to have those kind of those positive uh, strokes each and every day. And I mean, I overuse a phrase on this podcast a lot and I can hear listeners groaning before I even say it, but all the things that you said there all sound entirely commonsensical, right? They just, it just stands to reason, right? It's what we know. And yet it still feels like it really isn't common practice. And I don't know, as somebody who who literally helps people across the world kind of get into this stuff and make improvements, where are people falling over, not getting it or getting it wrong from your experience? Are they focusing on the wrong things? Are they looking for quick fixes? What, what's what's the story, Emma? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many different answers I give to this. So I'll, <laughs> try, I'll, try, I'll try and summarise it. I think that in my experience, I don't think, majority of organizations are, are not bad and they're not full of bad people they're just full of sometimes not full of but sometimes there are misinformed people in there who they want to do the right thing yeah but they just they're getting it wrong for a whole whole load of reasons i think one of the reasons is that um there's a lot of outdated science so let's throw some perks at people mm. science is you know and i get when i went to the world of academia to the world of work i was quite shocked and, and more latterly frustrated um that what we know from the world of academia and science wasn't really translating into, into business. I was like, we know this stuff doesn't work. We've known this for like 30 years. Why are we still doing this? Why are we still chucking gym memberships and fancy coffee at people thinking that's going to make a difference to how they feel about working for us? Because we know it doesn't. But but there's a whole billion dollar industry around perks, right? And it's like, I find that quite frustrating. It's an um, easy fix though, they think, isn't it? Isn't it? It's, yeah. I can buy that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that brings me to my next point, which is, I'm going to say this as a psychologist, but I think that the, the world of psychology is sometimes um, underrated because a lot of it is common sense, right? But you have to have a genuine desire to understand people to to help you perform well in this space and oh, true. i think for a lot of people this feels 
well, not for a lot of people, but for some people, this can feel quite overwhelming. So they're going to say, yeah, of course, it's the right thing to do to engage our people. Mm. No idea how to do it. Correct. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'll do a survey because that makes you feel like it gives me the illusion of doing something. I feel a bit more relieved now because I'm doing something because I have no idea where to start. And then I'm going to fix some stuff off the survey and that gives me more of an illusion of doing something. And again, there's this whole billion dollar industry that's been born out of, of you know, it's, it's quite dark really because, you know, the, the clever scientists in these consultancies who make a lot of money out of this, they know that this doesn't work. Mm. It's, it's, it's measuring something, not doing something about it. And mm. so I think it's, it, it, for some people it can feel quite overwhelming. And a lot of the work we do at the moment is with, newly new sort of newly formed employee experience teams who are going kind of everything that happens to an employee's experience i have no idea where to start so overwhelming can you help us yeah and i'm a big fan of keeping things simple and breaking things down so i think there's a couple of reasons i think there's there's a lot of well-intentioned practice that's based on outdated science practices there's a lot of um well-intentioned practitioners that just feel overwhelmed so you know do the, the easy quick win stuff as you said the we'll give people some perks and we'll do a survey and that that'll sort it um i don't think that organizations the world of work really places enough value on the sorts of uh, work that people in this space does so mm-hmm. quite often people are just kind of oh you, you can do that which you know to sort of a willing amateur which is great but someone that really hasn't got the right skills and background i mean you wouldn't stick somebody in marketing that hadn't got a marketing background. You wouldn't stick someone in finance and got a finance background. And yet the world of people, it's like, oh yeah, you know, you, you, you know, you, you've done that job well for a while. You're an ops person. So we'll just stick you in HR. Now that, that might be right. Okay. But they might have wonderful skills, but they, they don't have the, the expertise. They haven't grown up. They haven't got the, the subject matter expertise to, to genuinely understand how to get the best out of people, how to understand needs and motivations, you know? So I think that there's, a lot of that going on like I say I mean you know you wouldn't take me and sit me in the finance team because I haven't got a finance background so why is it okay the other way around so where would you take back to that example of that that experienced team newly coming together who's overwhelmed and doesn't know where to start what do you say to them where do you get them to start what's your sort of start of a 10 if you like yeah so I think even while you're figuring that out just get really curious about your people. Um, for me, the, the, the shift from a kind of traditional HR approach to an employee experience approach is about really turning up the people side of things. And this is the, the irony. I've mentioned this, I think, already. If I haven't, I'll say it again. But the irony is that we're working in people functions, but we've kind of forgotten about the people. Yeah. So we're really good at designing like competency frameworks or performance development systems that work well for um, what the organization needs, they align with strategy they're going to deliver for us. And, and they work well with the work that people do, but did actually work for the people? Mm. We, we, we so rarely ask that question. We so rarely ask you think about performance management, you know, what do you need to help you perform well at work? We, say, we don't say that. And, no. and if we do say it, we say it where people go, oh, I want money. I mean, that's not the right answer. So I think there's something around um, genuinely putting people at the heart of the process. And, and it isn't about, it, 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 I'm a massive fan of involvement. And as you know, I kind of added involvement as a, my fifth enabler to the engagement yes. set enablers. Yes. But, um, but it's it's got to be more than that. It, it can't just be, oh, well, we've involved them in design. It, it goes one step further around, you know, how can you genuinely put yourself in the shoes of the people you're designing for? Do you understand their needs and motivations, their pains and gains? Mm. Do you know them, right? That's where it has to start. 
And then we've got, um, I've developed a landscape, an EX landscape model, um, really to help people get their head around this overwhelming kind of uh, field of EX. And it kind of goes from your hygiene experiences. So, you know, if people got the right tools to the job, do they get paid on time, all that good stuff. And we know that that doesn't engage, but we know if you haven't got it there, they'll be very disengaged. They're the table right? so, stakes. They get you in the game, right? Exactly. And then we kind of move across to sort of the, the life cycle experience. So the classic space that HR, people functions, L&D kind of play in. So, you know, how do we track people on board people? How do we, you know, performance manage people? The classic kind of touch points. But the, the big shift there is, okay, so for years we've been doing this stuff to people. Let's start to think about what they need from, from these touch points. Have we got them right? We talk a lot about moments that matter. Mm. And often, we, you know, we'll sit in a darkened room. Again, very well-intentioned, but we'll decide what we think are the important things, you know. I've never heard anybody in my whole career say, yeah, it was a really great place to work because I had such a good performance management conversation with my boss. <laughs> you know, no one ever says that. And actually, most of the time, it's actually a dissatisfier, it's disengager. But what someone might say is, yeah, I felt like my manager really had my back and they wanted to help me get on. And I, I you know, I really wanted to move into this part of the business. Maybe I'm in finance, I want to move to engagement. And they they supported that and they they helped me develop myself. Those are the sorts of things that matter. So we look at what are the moments that matter for, for your people. And often they don't necessarily map the stuff that we're working on. So you've got to kind of really revisit that and say some stuff that we're working on, we think is really important that maybe isn't important to the experience of our people. For example, you know, things like bereavements, things like uh, maternity or paternity, they are such big moments of people in their lives. And the way the organisation responds and deals to those um, moments can really make or break your experience with an organisation. People often go to onboarding, again, because our first day in a job, we'll remember that if it's good, I'll remember if it's bad. Bad. So you've got the life cycle experience. Then you kind of move across and you've got what I call everyday experiences. That's the culture. It's the mm. leadership. It's the kind of how do people talk to each other here? What sort of emails do people send? Do they copy everybody in? Mm. Mm. That sends that, that that's that's a really negative experience when you've got the world and his wife copied in on emails. It's like, oh, you know, there's everyday experience. How do how does the how do I get greeted when I walk if when I walk into the office, if I'm going to the office in the morning? How do I get greeted? People friendly, do they speak to me? You know, so those sorts of everyday cultural moments and they're kind of uh, more intangible, but critical. And then we also talk about the um, the EX mindset. So this is like the individual. So this goes into the, like, the real psychology in terms of, yeah, the organizations, it's, it's got great hygiene. All the life cycle touch points are brilliant. The culture is fantastic. But I also have as an individual and accountability and responsibility for how I show up at work. So a hypothesis could be an optimism bias might help you to have a better experience at work. And this is a brand new area. No one's really researched this. And it's something that I get really excited about being a psychology nerd. So, you know, my hypothesis would be if you have a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset, you're probably going to have a better experience at work or in life, actually. If you're more resilient, you're probably going to have a better experience at work. And the great thing is about these mindset examples is that we can actually teach them to people so if you if you don't if you have a fixed mindset it's okay we can work with you on that if you ha- if you're not very resilient it's okay we can give you some tools and coping strategies to help you develop and grow your resilience like a muscle you have to train it you know if you have a, a fixed mindset i say you know a, a, a sort of pessimism bias we can help you to become more optimistic so i'm not saying that that 
says that, um, you know, the onus isn't on the organisation to do the right thing. Of course, it should do the right thing. But this is an and as well as thinking about our individual mindset. So that's what I kind of, that EX landscape model is when I share to sort of help people make sense of where to focus. So which bit do you want to go for first? Which bits within your circle of control and influence? Because EX doesn't just sit neatly in one team. It's, it's If it's everything that happens to the employee, it's got to sit with everybody. So where do you want to go for first? 100% below my old, my old career. I was looking after brand experience and I went from sitting in marketing to annoying everybody because I figured, well, wherever anything happens affects the brand, right? It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. There's so many tendrils. It relates right back to what you sort of said at the beginning about your early career. I think all these different kind of jobs, well, where's the link? Well, the, the, the link's right there. They all tie together. They all manifest in the same sort of stuff. Absolutely. Um, so look, I think it's worthwhile trying to link together all this kind of changing landscape, the focus on experience, right, with the output of, of, of engagement and the workplace. And so looking at your book mm. and looking at, well, how do we future-proof our engagement or our experience strategies going forwards? Because, and an example right now, as you know, I said at the start, oh, hybrid was like the, the new white sliced loaf originally. Mm. And now it's almost smelling like Brexit. Um, yeah. when, you, when you mentioned a hybrid. So so how do we future-proof engagement stuff going forward, Emma? Yes, I think it, it it's absolutely goes back to the, this, this empathy principle. You know, the, the better you understand your people, the more likely you are to get this stuff right. Mm. Um, those companies that invest time and energy in genuinely understanding who their people are. If you think about, you know, marketeers, they know their customers, customer experience, know their customers inside out. We have to get that that passionate and that nerdy about knowing our people. And that is not, yeah, we do a survey, we do a pulse survey. No, 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 no. It's got to be much deeper than that. We need quantitative and qualitative insights. So I'm a big fan of employee personas um, to help us to do that, to, to help us to stand in the shoes that people we're designing for. And, I, you know, we develop these and use these with lots of clients and you could just see the light bulbs go off. The minute you're say designing a, um, I said this before, but it's management um, approach and you look at the different persona groups straight away. It's like, ah, oh, okay, well that, that group over there, they, they might need this and that group over there, they're probably going to need that. And mm. yeah, straight away, you just suddenly, it just helps you to understand the different needs because the whole time we're doing the same thing for everybody, we're going to get it wrong. Um, and the whole time we, we're treating our employees as some kind of like, you know, distant group that we don't really know. We're not in touch with what they need to have a great experience. So for me, that's where it starts. And you base those personas on lots of listening, lots of talking and, yeah. pu- and pulling back yeah. rather than assumption, right? <laughs> Absolutely. They have to be grounded in insights. So yeah. they're not about, oh, you hear it so often, don't you? Oh, well, nobody likes email. or Everybody says this. And often it's just, I don't like email and I yeah. say this, you know, it's like the great thing about personas is they're rooted and built on genuine data. Mm. So they help you to have those tricky conversations with stakeholders and say, actually, no, you know, this, this is going to work because we know this about our people and we know that about our people. So it really helps you to, to, to make that case with stakeholders as to what you're doing and why. Brilliant. And, and so we get curious, we try and understand more about, our employees is there anything else that we've got to be focusing in on to kind of help keep ahead or, or at least keep in line with all the the rest of the changing stuff that's going on yeah so i think um as you know we you know we use design thinking to develop 
or use the process of design thinking to help us to develop experiences. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of this. It's sort of, it's a framework. It's not a prescriptive approach. It's a framework to help you think about things in a more innovative way. It absolutely is human centered. So it's about putting your people at the heart of this. And what I love about this, we've developed with my, my colleague, Belinda Gunaway, who co-wrote the my EX by Design book. We developed a kind of a, we built on the Design Council's double diamond and, and came up with a triple diamond, which is about scope it out. What's our ideal? How do we measure up? Then let's empathise. So who are we designing for? What, what's their need? Mm. And often once we when we scope it out and then we do the empathy piece, we often end up going back and saying, actually, our scope wasn't quite right because right. we thought it was X, it's actually Y. And then we get to the solution space. And I think, you know, in terms of future proofing, I think design thinking is all about um, experimentation. So, um, you know, prototyping and testing. So not sitting in a darkened room and coming up with the perfect answer and then rolling it out to great cost and effort and, you know, wasting a lot of time and energy and effort. It's like small prototypes to communicate an idea and get feedback and then to, to keep going around that kind of design experiment iteration loop so that we land on the right things and again our colleagues in user experience design and customer experience design they've been doing this for years they know this works and we need to kind of really adopt these principles because they are well tested and they will give us a much much better result at the end of the day amazing again it sounds like it's just common sense to take that kind of like product design approach to building these kind of experiences Mm. rather than just you know basing it on what you reckon and uh, yes. <laughs> makes makes a great deal of sense Emma unbelievably we've got to the point in the show that I call sticky notes right which is the attempt to summarize all the stuff we've talked about mate and so if I was to ask you to leave the listeners with three invaluable pieces of advice in which to move their employee experience forward you know have better engagement that you could fit on three little post-it notes mm-hmm. What would your advice be? Yeah, so so I think my first piece of advice would be never assume what a great experience looks like for your people or what engages your people. Just don't make those assumptions. And um, I've got an activity that I use called Best Experience. I've mentioned that already. So it's just go out and ask people to tell you stories about when they're at their best and, and, and listen to those stories and use those insights to base whatever it is you do next on. So that'd be my first one. Brilliant. Um, my second one is, is is then build on these insights to get genuinely curious about um, understanding your people, their needs, their motivations, you know, um, you know, really, really kind of at all times just keep that curiosity going. So that would be, be my second one. Um, so we're quite related to these. And then my third one is just never forget that employees are the consumers of the workplace, customers of the workplace. And remember this at all times, stick that on a sticky note and put it next to your, to your workplace, uh, wherever you work. And just think, would I treat a customer this way? And if the answer is no, then yeah, just, just uh, that's, that's my, that's my key one. I love that one. Absolutely love one. I can't go, ever escape my marketing brand background. And uh, I just think that is absolutely bang on. Emma, before I, I, I let you go, the book, it's out now. People can get hold of it. Where can they get hold yeah. of it? Yeah. So the employee engagement third edition is out now. It's available on Amazon. I'll share with you uh, for the, the show notes, uh, discount code. Um, oh, brilliant. We are also going to be, I think it's a 20% discount code, but don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> I think pretty sure it's 20, 20%. Um, we're going to be running an event as well, in-person event 
kind of launch, even though it's already out, launch event and get some of the contributors, have some brilliant people contribute to the um, to the book. Um, so we're just trying to line that up at the moment because diaries, et cetera. So probably be late June, early July. People want to come along to that, we'll get some great speakers along. It's going to be in central London. So yeah, books available now, Amazon or any good bookseller. Others are um, available, absolutely. Published by Kogan Page. So you can get from the Kogan Page website as well. And we'll, we'll share we'll share the money off code on that. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Did um, David McLeod, did he write the preface or something for you? He book? did. Oh, he did. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. yeah. Lovely. Actually, David and Nita, they wrote ah. together. Yes. So it's lovely oh. to have them involved. Yeah. Oh, all engaged for success makes their marvellous stuff. Emma, Absolutely. It's been wonderful to speak to you. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, experience, wisdom, all that great stuff. And I wish you the best of luck with the book. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Emma. Take care. Okay, everyone. That was Emma Bridger. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about her, things we've talked about and get access to that discount code for the book please check out the show notes so that concludes today's episode i hope you've enjoyed it found it interesting and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier more successful business from the inside going forward if you have please like comment and subscribe it really helps I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.